Hi, I'm Sandy. Thank you all for coming today. We are going to be studying the book of Ruth, starting with Ruth 1, starting with verse 6 through 22. There's a lot that's going to go on here. There's so much in these outlines. The uh, study that I'm using is uh, from Dr. David Jeremiah. It's called Ruth, Romance and Redemption. And he has this broken into three actual lessons. So we're going to try and do all three today. So there's going to be, I'm going to be reading a lot to you. So I'm going to open in prayer. Father, just so thankful that we have your word. Ruth is an exciting book. It's, it's just a book of, of love and redemption and showing what it's like to be in or out of your will, Lord. We just pray that you will enable us to absorb your word and be blessed by it. For we ask it and pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to start with first with Ruth 1, 6 to 13, three steps back to God. In this lesson, we learn that repentance can lead to a new hope and a new life. In the last book of the New Testament, we find John's letters to the seven churches. One of the letters was written to the church in the city of Ephesus, a great church in its own right. Yet, it was a church that had strayed from its love for God. So God said, you are doing a lot of good things, but the problem is you have left your first love. All I want to tell you, and I want to tell you how to get back to me. You need to remember, you need to repent, you need to repeat the first works. Those three steps are always the steps back to God. We will see it in the first chapter of Ruth. Step one is remember. Step one for someone who is in a far country and needs to come back to God is to remember. We read in verse six, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Here was Naomi in Moab with just her two daughters-in-law. Her husband and her sons are dead. And someone says to her, have you heard what's going on in Bethlehem? The famine is over. There's grain again for food and there is bread on every table. We can almost see the wheels turning in Naomi's mind as she heard the news. It's not just what's going on in Bethlehem at the moment. It's a flood of memories from her earlier life, happier times when she knew she was in the will of God. The communication was the news of God's blessing. The communication told that the Lord had visited his people. That's a wonderful phrase found many times in the Bible. In Luke 1:68, we read, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he had visited and redeemed his people. If we have been in a far country, country nothing will make our life more miserable and ultimately happier than a visit from the Lord. The Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. The famine is over. This rumor reached the ears of Naomi and she longed to go home. Imagine the struggle she went through. She may have wondered if anyone would remember her, how she would be received after 10 years. The book of Ruth says that there was not only a communication of God's working back in Bethlehem, but there was also a presentation God had come to visit the city, and he had given them bread. Many of us need to step back for a moment and realize that every good gift comes down from the Father, and that we have our bread, and we have our bread because of him. Psalm 77:11 says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. God will bring us back if we are his own. We always have a choice. Take a moment, pause, remember from where you have fallen. 
Revelation 2.5 is where you will find that. Remember what it's like in the Father's house. Remember the things God has done for you. Step two, we need to repent. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law, with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to, the, to return to the land of Judah. This is true repentance. The news produced action in Naomi. She arose. She went to return to the land of Judah. After the death of her Hebrew husband, after the marriages of her son to Moabite women, after the death and burial of her only two sons, and after her heart had been broken by bereavement, after her soul had been crushed, then she arose that she might go back from the country of Moab. This is a very accurate illustration of what it means to repent. Many people today misunderstand repentance because they confuse it with penance. Penance comes from the Latin word for penalty. It means paying, tears, self-denial, public humiliation. Repentance, however, is a turning around. It's an about face, a reversal of direction. Repentance is doing what Naomi did. Notice that it says, Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. When we repent, we execute a 180-degree turn. We say, that's it. I'm not going to do that anymore. God, forgive me. I repent of my sin. Isaiah 55, 7 puts it this way. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. An old adage says, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. If that's what you want, that's what, you want to, that's what you're going to get. But if you want to come back to God, you must turn your back on where you are. Step three, repeat. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return. I'm sorry. Would you please read Ruth 1, 8 to 13? What a speech. When Naomi, Naomi, Orpha, and Ruth were some distance from the city, Naomi tried to induce her daughters-in-law to return in their native land, praying that the Lord might deal kindly with them and grant them rest in the houses of new husbands. Then she kissed them, and the scriptures said they wept bitterly. Naomi has gone full circle from dependence on God to an independent spirit in Moab all the way back to an absolute dependence on God. And the dependence is shown in this passage in three words. One, hopelessness. Naomi feels hopeless, hopeless in her own ability, hopeless in her own strength. In verse 11, Naomi asks, why would you go with me? I am too old to have any sons. And if I could have more, would you want to wait that you might unite with them in marriage in order to restore the sacred seed line and redeem back my lost property? In the Old Testament, 
when a woman lost her husband, she was not to immediately go out and marry some stranger. Rather, she was to have her posterity restored to her through the brother of her husband. So Naomi was saying to these two girls that there was no hope. She was a widow in want and woe, stripped of all her possessions, going back over the lonely road to her father's house. Many times before we return to the father, we must come to the end ourselves. Often that's how we came to him in the first place. And often it's in hopelessness in our own life that draws us back to him. The second word is helplessness. Second, we see in this text the sense of Naomi's helplessness. She says in verse 13, it grieves me very much for your sakes. She grieves over the situation because she feels responsible for what happened to these two girls. They are suffering because of her. No matter who we are, when we get out of the will of God, we always take somebody with us. Heaviness is the third word. Finally, there is a sense of her own heaviness. She is broken before the Lord. Notice that in verse 13, she says, the land, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Did you ever see anyone prosper when the hand of the Lord was against them? If you want to have a contest with someone, pick someone your own size. Don't pick God because you're not going to win. Naomi realized that the hand of the Lord was against her and she felt great heaviness. She had buried her husband and her two sons. There was no one to carry on her family's line. She is now a stranger to the old form of worship. She knew at the beginning all of this was heavy on her heart, and she is back where she should have been at the beginning. She's, she understands her relationship with God. Psalm 15:17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. This is the story of a woman who left the place of Beth blessing in Bethlehem, experienced the pain being out of God's will. But one day, like the prodigal son, she said, I will arise and go to my father. Would you please read Luke 15, 7 to 19? Yes. Would you please read Isaiah 55, 11 to 13? And then Isaiah 58, 11. Isaiah 58, 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Thank you. There is nothing more important than following God's will. Inside his will, we find satisfaction, fulfillment, purpose, peace, surrender, sacrifice, putting others first. Nothing was in the way of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Are we like Naomi or Jonah or Job or the unnamed prodigal? Perhaps we walked with God early in life or even got all the way through college with our faith intact. But then through some small concessions in our lives, our walk with the Lord began to erode. Little by little, we slipped away from the things that we once had that once had been important to us. 
It said earlier here, I read about, are we like Naomi or Jonah or Job? Well, Job lost his children, his health, his wealth, and his livelihood. But Naomi, they both tragically lost their families and the life they worked to build. But Job is not alone. He still has a wife and a community to, to surround him. Although sometimes those friends weren't too helpful, but he still had a community around him. But Naomi had it worse. Job is not an immigrant and he is not a woman. Being a woman in ancient times did not work to one's advantage. Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws were highly vulnerable in that that male-dominated culture. So they were really in some peril, and that's why I think it helped Naomi to, Naomi to turn around and come back to the Lord. What should we do today? How do we get back? We must remember from whence we have fallen, repent where we are, go back and repent the first works, confess our sin, acknowledge who we are, and then remember that God loves us. The good news of the gospel, my friend, is that before the prodigal ever turned his heart toward home, the father had been praying and waiting for him, thinking of what it would be like to embrace him in his arms. God will not force himself upon us. He will not come and drag us out of our situation. But if we will return, he will love us all the way back home. Now we're going into Ruth 1, 14 to 18. Decision determines destiny. In this lesson, we find that difficult decisions may require commitment based on love and faith. Orpha decided, Orpha decided to leave and go back to Moab. We read in Ruth 1, 14 to 15. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. As they stood at the crossroads and had to decide whether to go back to Moab or to go to Bethlehem, they had to consider a number of factors. Orpha went back to her home in Moab. Orpha, who went back to her home in Moab, was impacted, first of all, by her relatives. The scriptures say that she went back to her people. How often have relatives had an impact on our decision? Many times that is good, but sometimes it isn't. In the New Testament, our Lord constantly reminded those who were around him that if they were to follow him, they would have to get their perspective on family clearly straightened out. For example, in Luke 9, 57 to 62, who has Luke 9, 57 to 62, we read, Sounds rather demanding, doesn't it? But Jesus was saying that often as we're trying to make good decisions, we have to decide whether we are going to do what our family wants or what God wants. Luke 14, 26 is even more to us. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That sounds like a contradiction of love your neighbor as yourself, doesn't it? But here the Lord isn't using the word hate as an actual word of emotion. Rather, he is using it as a word of comparison. He is saying, in comparison to your love for me, your love for your family should be at the other end of the scale. 
Notice that the Bible says she went back to her people and to her gods. We're still speaking about Orpha. The story of Ruth and Orpha is a picture of spiritual life. Both came face to face with the choice between gods and God. Orpha decided to go backward to darkness and paganism and superstition and gloom. She went back to her idolatry and nothing more is ever said about her. She went back and she got lost. It was the crisis moment in Orpha's life. She stood at the crossroads. She could have gone forward, but she chose to go back. She wept, kissed her mother-in-law and went back. Back to what? Back to the awful pagan religion of Moab. But then we come to Ruth. The Bible says Ruth decided to cleave. She clung to her mother-in-law. The choice Ruth made was one of these turning points in history, unknown, unappreciated at the time. But God had a plan for Ruth, and as we look back, we see her in that strategic place. Certainly, she would have felt the pull to go back, but she decided instead to go God's way. She made the decision to cleave. Ruth's declaration to go with Naomi is set off like a poem or song, so we're going to analyze it. Ruth's decision involved a friendship. This is the first thing we notice about the decision Ruth made. She said, wherever you go, I will go. You can't read these words without a great sense of admiration for Ruth's nobility and humility. Growing up in Moab as she did, where did she find that nobility? Could any good or noble thing ever come out of Moab? We might say no, but Ruth in the midst of that awful culture possessed the nobility we see in this passage. According to verse 14, Ruth clung to Naomi. This is a word of committed, faithful cleaving, a word donating a deep personal relationship. In fact, it's the same word used in the Old Testament to describe the way a man is supposed to adhere to his wife. Ruth's decision involved a family. Not only did her decision involve a friendship, but her decision involved, secondly, a family. Notice she said, wherever you lodge, I will lodge. In other words, I'm not going to just follow you, Naomi. I am going with you and I'm going to settle down with you. I'm going to be part of who you are and where you live. I'm going to share the same provision with you and I'm going to lock my life intimately into the life of you and your family. It involved a friendship and it involved a family. Ruth's decision involved a future. Would you please read Deuteronomy 23.3? She was a Moabitess going into Israel. She really had made a tremendous decision to go forward. Ruth also said, your people shall be my people. She was leaving her people permanently and she was choosing Naomi's people for her future forever. Ruth was willing to break down the age-old barrier of enmity that had grown up between the Moabites and the Israelites and became one of the people of Israel. This was a tremendous decision for a Moabite. Ruth's decision involved her faith. Ruth went a step further and said, your God is going to be my God, which brings her to the place of faith. She will leave behind the idols of Moab, including Shemesh, a god to which they offered newborn children as sacrifices. Just hard to, hard, hard to understand that. Ruth says, no more, I'm turning my back on these gods and I'm coming, Naomi, to your God, the Yahweh of the Old Testament, Jehovah God, I shall worship him. And Ruth's decision involved her funeral. In verse 17, Ruth says, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. In effect, Ruth said, Naomi, I want to tell you something. Nothing is going to separate us, not even death. I'm even going to be buried where you are buried. I want to be with you only in life, 
not only in life, but in death too. In other words, not only, Ruth not only said she was going to be involved with her in death, but her decision involved a final resting place. Her past was against her. Please notice that what Ruth did violated her past. She had been cradled and raised in a heathen home. She had been schooled in the worship of an immoral God. She had no background for her new life with Naomi. And her present was against her. Ruth's circumstances at the time of this decision would not indicate that this was a right, good, and easy thing to do. Naomi, her own mother-in-law, was saying, go back, go back. You don't want to come with me. We don't know why Naomi told them to go back, but we do know she had an awful influence on those girls. Naomi dearly loved her daughters-in-law, and yet she was saying, go back. Her future was against her. With this one decision, she would be exiled from her homeland and from any friends she may have had there for the rest of her life. She was putting everything behind her and leaving no way to go back. In the light of all that, how did Ruth decide correctly? Well, I believe Ruth 2.12 is the key to understanding what Ruth did when she, what, why Ruth did what she did. Boaz, speaking to Ruth later on in the story, says, The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Somewhere in the process of her relationship with Naomi, Ruth had come to know the true and living God. She had a desire in her heart to be with God's people and to dwell in God's land. How could God do that? How could he reach down, pull one child out of Moab and include her in his own family? Whatever it is we think God can't do, that's the very thing he will do. God can do it. And that's a blessing, isn't it? God can do it. Whatever our backgrounds, whether we are irreligious, involved in a cult, or anti-God, anti-faith, anti-church, God can override them. It doesn't matter who we are, where we have been, or what we have done. He can swoop down upon our situation, pull us right out of the middle of it, and make a difference. That's a blessing to those who have problems, especially with your children uh, at home, to just know that if we're faithful, if we pray, if we ask, he can pull us out of any situation and just make it right and make it beautiful. In the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1, five women are included. Among them are Tamar, who committed incense with her father-in-law, Rahab, a Gentile prostitute, Ruth, an outcast Moab, and Uriah's wife, an adulteress. How did they ever become a part of Messiah? By the grace of God. His grace is greater than all our sin, and when we come to the crossroads of decision and decide yes, God's grace will take us all the way. There's not anything you've done or any place we've been or any circumstance of our lives that God cannot override by his grace if we simply say, yes, I will do it. Decisions determine destiny. And now we're going to go to the last verses, Ruth 1, 18 to 22, going home. This lesson shows that the afflictions God allows in our life can be the means to cause our return to him. In Ruth 1, 18 to 22, we read, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. This is a 55 mile trip for the two of them. And I would assume they walked. So did they walk 10 miles a day, seven miles a day, you know, do the math. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, 
since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Home, what a great word that is, especially when you've been gone a long time. There's a sense of settledness in it. Naomi must have felt that way as she and her daughter-in-law Ruth began the journey from Moab back to Bethlehem. Naomi decided to go back, first of all, because she had heard that the famine was over, that there was now bread in Bethlehem. But I believe she continued on that journey back to Bethlehem because of Ruth's resolve. We read in verse 18 that when she saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. In essence, she said, okay, if you're going to go, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. There is another reason here, and that is the relentlessness of God. She is in a far country. She had gone from Israel for 10 years, but she never had been out of the sight of her almighty father. We read in Ruth 1.21 these words, the Lord has brought me home again. How did she get back to Bethlehem? It wasn't just fam the famine and it wasn't just Ruth. God had his hand on her life. Aren't we glad that even when we are in that far country, God still knows where we are and he can still put his hand on us and direct our lives. God is the gracious father who sought Adam in the garden. He welcomed back the prodigal son and Naomi would never have seen her home again if Jehovah had left her alone. Sometimes we think God is pestering us. He's driving us nuts. He's after us all the time. Then we find out what he's up to and we're glad he never left us alone. The Bible says Naomi and Ruth traveled until they came to Bethlehem. It happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Apparently her husband had been a prominent man in Bethlehem. She was well-to-do. She had gone out full, the Bible says. So when she came back empty, the townspeople looked at her and couldn't believe it. That was their first emotion. But their second emotion was shock. When Naomi and Ruth arrived, the men probably were out in the fields harvesting barley because it was harvest season. So it was the women who spoke first. They said, is this Naomi? No doubt her looks displayed more than just the normal wear and tear of the human body. She was a broken, defeated woman who had all the signs in her appearance of three funerals and the agony of being out of fellowship of God. As this weary woman entered Bethlehem, there was a buzz of questions, wonder, and curiosity. Is this Naomi? Is this the popular wife of Elimelech? Is this aged and weary woman the once happy and beautiful wife of the elegant Elimelech? Is this really Naomi? What did Naomi do? There are three things that we're going to find out as to just how she was feeling. Her spirit. First notice the spirit of Naomi when she returned. Verse 20 tells us that when they called her Naomi, she says them not to. Why not? because Naomi means pleasantness, my delight, or my joy. Naomi knew the name no longer applied to her. She said, if you are going to call me something, call me Mara, because that means bitterness. She claims the name Mara, a Hebrew word used to describe something bitter in taste or feeling. It's the same word used in Exodus 15:23 to describe the bitter water that, has made, that was made sweet. There's no question Naomi had experienced bitterness and it had taken root in her heart. Her status. Then Naomi made a comment about her status. She said in verse 21, I went out full and the, brought, and the Lord brought me home empty. Again, it's like when the prodigal son went to the father and said, give me the portion of goods that is mine. He too went out full. By the time he came back, he had spent... <clears throat> He had spent everything and lost all of his friends, and there was nothing left but bitterness. The prodigal went out full, but he came back empty. Someone had said Naomi had an empty heart, an empty hand, and an empty home. 
but in her emptiness, God is going to replenish her life, her sorrow. There's a third dimension to her return. She came back in sorrow. Her sorrow is expressed in three statements. First in verse 20, she says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. This is the second time Naomi implicates God in her problems. And now she says that God did this to her. She's like a lot of people out of fellowship with God who says, God is picking on me. God doesn't like me. But Naomi is bitter as a direct result of moving out of place where God wanted her to be. If we don't take responsibility for the things that happen to us as a result of our actions, it is very easy to blame God. Certainly God was involved in Naomi's life, not in unkindness, but in love. God allowed the circumstances in Naomi's life in order to bring her back from the far country and help her find her way home. Naomi's second statement is found in verse 21. She says, the Lord has testified against me. Naomi is convinced that God is picking on her. The word testify is from a Hebrew word meaning to answer or to respond. In the book of Isaiah, we find the same word in the statement, for your transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. Naomi thought God was testifying against her, but it wasn't really God, it was her own sin. Notice Naomi's third statement in verse 21. The Almighty has afflicted me. The word afflicted means to bring about hurt. Naomi was saying, let me tell you what my sorrow is. God is hurting me. He is afflicting me. In Psalm 119, we read that before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. That was Psalm 119.67. Sometimes God afflicts us to get back to get us back to where we belong. And a few verses later in verse 71, we read, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Then finally in verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. When God afflicts us, it is always in faithfulness. He doesn't hurt us to hurt us. He hurts us to help us. Notice that Naomi referred to Jehovah two times as the Almighty. That is a hidden blessing in this passage. God Almighty or Almighty God is a translation of the Old Testament term El Shaddai. That term is used three times in the book of Genesis, which helps us understand why El Shaddai was so important to Naomi. The first occasion is in Genesis 17, when Abraham was 99 years old, and God said to him that Sarah would give him a son, even in his old age, through El Shaddai, Almighty God. Almighty God can transform the frail, frailty and hopelessness of an aged man and an aged woman into eternal blessing. El Shaddai can take that which no man can do and do it. The second reference in Genesis is connection with Jacob's reluctant agreements to his son's request. In this episode, Jacob has been asked to let his youngest son, Benjamin, go with his brothers to Joseph, whom they didn't yet recognize. Jacob said in Genesis 43:13 to 14, take your brothers also and arise, go back to the man and may God Almighty give you mercy before the men that he, that he may release your other brothers and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Here Almighty God is Jacob's only hope of protection at a time when no one could guarantee safety. Almighty God is the one who can do what no one else can do. And the last reference of, is in Genesis in this chapter of blessing, Genesis 49. When Jacob blesses all of his sons, in Genesis 49, 24 to 25, Jacob blesses Joseph by the hand of the mighty God of Jacob, by the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. When Jacob was blessing Joseph, Jacob said, let me tell you about El Shaddai. He is the God who can do what no other God can do. But what about Naomi? Was El Shaddai working on her behalf? What did Naomi have from El Shaddai? 
she had her life. She may have had three fresh graves, but she had her own life. She also had her daughter-in-law, Ruth. The rest of the book is the story of Naomi being blessed through her daughter-in-law. Naomi stars in the first chapter, but Ruth is the star of the remaining three chapters. As God works through this daughter-in-law, who came to know Jehovah God through Naomi to bless Naomi. Finally, Naomi still had Jehovah God, shed the God of Israel, Almighty God, El Shaddai. He's the real star of this story. Naomi still had her God. Finally, Naomi still had Jehovah. I'm sorry, I had read that. El Shaddai is the God who is at his best when we are at our worst. When circumstances are at their lowest point, we should say, I need to get back into fellowship with El Shaddai, Almighty God. He is the one who can bring joy out of anguish and put peace back into my life. <clears throat> the provision of God for Ruth begins in 122, where we read, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. According to verse 22, the place of God's provision was back home, back where Naomi had started the journey away from God, back to the place where God's blessing was. One of the great challenges for us as God's people is that we stay under God's blessing. Whenever we move out from under it, we are on our own. The place of God's provision for Ruth was in Bethlehem, but notice too, that there was a particular period of time that God ordained his provisions to take place. Verse 22 tells us that Ruth and Naomi came back to Bethlehem during the time of the barley harvest and during, during the time of the har harvest. Barley and wheat harvesting in Israel occurred in April, May, and June. So Naomi and Ruth returned at a very important time when God was again blessing his people. Naomi and Ruth came back at the most wonderful season spring, a time of a new beginning for the whole city. God is giving us a chance. God is always giving us a chance for a new beginning. In Ruth's decision, we see her sold out commitment to embrace an entirely different life, regardless of the cost. We will also see the immeasurable blessings that begin to define her life from the point of decision on. Her story is a magnificent example of the result a full commitment to God. The moment we decide to exchange our way of life for his way and fully embrace that commitment, we will begin to experience sim similar blessings. His rich promises will begin to bear fruit all around us. That level of commitment comes with a cost. In every aspect, Ruth turned from her old way of life to a new way of life. She gave up her family, her friends, her belongings, her belief system. Here is an unchanging truth. The closer we walk with God, the more our will matches His. The greater the distance between us, the greater the conflict between our two wills. If you're tired of being pulled in opposite directions, close the gap between you and God. God knows best. He created us. He knows us better than anyone else. He knows what excites us. He knows what upsets us. He knows what inspires us. He knows our strengths, our weaknesses, our capabilities. God knows it all. He created a, new, a unique plan that takes all of these into account. He knows our future. You know, we have peace in this. He created us. Now he knows our future. God knows what's going to happen the next minute, the next day, the next year, the next decade. So he knows how to direct us. Taking these two things in account, who is in a better position to know the right path for you? You or God? The choices we make give us an opportunity to obey him by choosing his way. And when we do that, he wants us to do, he wants us to do, we are reaffirming our love for him. And like Ruth, when we choose to follow him, we open our lives to the full expression of his love for us. Please read the following verses, John, 14, 21 to 24.
John 15:10 If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. What is the one thing both of these passages say? Love and obedience. Love and obedience walk hand in hand, don't they? If we love God, he will f we will follow him. We will trust his leading and not our own. Please read Luke 6, 46 to 49. God's will is filled with purpose and fulfillment. Any other direction will always fall short. It's just that simple. When we ignore his will, or worse, when we manipulate his will, his will to conform to ours, the result will always disappoint us. Ruth chose God's will. She made a complete break with the past. Her commitment was total. She said it would, wouldn't last. Her commitment was total and she said it would last until death. Every decision we make has ongoing repercussions, not only for us, but for the people around us. That's why it is so important to let God lead us in our decision-making. Ruth made a wise decision that set the pattern for her life. She left no difficulties to dissuade her and ultimately she experienced specific benefits. Eventually, Ruth and Naomi made it back to Bethlehem. Ruth determined to look out for the needs of her mother-in-law. She knew what the right thing to do was and set her mind to do it, whatever the cost to her personality. The right thing to do in every circumstance, no matter how devastating or painful, is bringing glory, is bringing God glory through our response. Read John 15:8. Bringing glory to God is simply focusing our life, attitude, and choices to be God-centered. We will bring glory to Him through how we live and respond to life circumstances and the people around us. Through prayer, godly living, loving, and serving others, and repentance, we bring glory to God. Imagine that. Our confession of sin in our lives brings glory to Him. He is our Redeemer. And through confession of our sin, through our weakness, he is made strong, and that brings glory to him. We put the attention on him as our primary focus and motivate for all we do. He gets the glory. He gets the attention through our lives. Ruth's decision to stay with Naomi immediately began to bear fruit, and yes, bring God glory, just as our God-centered responses to adverse circumstances do. The wonderful thing we know to do, we know is that we aren't on our own in finding the strength to keep doing the next thing. God himself will empower us. Read 2 Peter 1, 3 to 8.
And Philippians 2, 12 to 15. How is moral excellence related to having a strong faith? The more our behavior is modified by God, the stronger our faith becomes because we are more attuned to him. And follow the list on down. The more knowledge we have of him, the more willing we are to develop moral excellence, which results in self-control, and on and on, with the end result being that we are able to feel love toward everyone. It is interesting to look at Naomi and Ruth both of whom had suffered great tragedy. Naomi's response was to turn inward, hunching her shoulders around her pain, holding it tight and close. Ruth's response was to reach outward toward Naomi. So now we're going to leave Naomi and Ruth, and they're going to be starting their new life in Bethlehem. So I'm anxious for that. Next week, Morgan will continue our journey and I'm assuming Morgan has homework for you. We aren't going to do the questions that I have for your lesson because we are out of time. There was a lot I gave you. Uh, there was so much we could have discussed, you know, but I had to get through all of this today. And I thank you, each and every one of you, and know where we have to be, and that's in the will of God.